Hello, my name is Dr. Brendan McCarthy. I'm the Chief Medical Officer of Protea Medical Center in Chandler, Arizona. Uh, welcome to my podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, today, I wanted to talk a little bit about a uh, condition that's been affecting many of us, and it's uh, obesity and uh, weight gain. Um, this is something that's been growing in, in America uh, for the past maybe 30, 40 years. And what's interesting is, is that, you know, we really haven't figured out how to get our hands around it. Remember, smoking, when smoking became uh, a big deal and, and, and we all became concerned about smoking and realizing how bad it is for us, how quickly as a nation, as a people, we gave up smoking, you know? That's hard. Anybody who's given up smoking will tell you that. And so why is it that our weight is not responding? Why is it that we're not losing weight? A lot of people will go and they, they, they do different diets. They try different plans and they, they you know, follow different things they've seen or heard of. And very few people succeed. And so I wanted to kind of delve into that with you today and talk about why people don't lose weight and, and how you can approach it a little bit differently uh, than just the old-fashioned calorie restriction um, and how to avoid the, the pitfalls of different fad diets. Um, I'm going to start off by telling you just some quick statistics to let you know why this is a big deal. So the World Health Organization, it defines overweight as a body mass index between 25 and uh, 29.9. And then the uh, obesity is a measurement above a body mass index above 30. So the body mass index is a, a combination of your height versus your weight. The problem with the body mass index is there's a lot of people out there that exercise a lot and they have a lot of muscle mass and that will always skew the body mass index to be higher even though they're very lean and they have very little fat on their body, they could have a high BMI. So a better way of looking at it is going to be more the percentage of body fat. And uh, in my clinic, we always look at the percentage of body fat using different scales that we have in office. Um, for women, ideally, it should be 18 to 28%. And men should be 10 to 20% uh, of, of their body should be adipose. So statistically speaking, obesity rates in the country, 65% of Americans are considered overweight. 33% are considered obese. And we have 20% who are considered to be morbidly obese. Um, obesity does increase with age. We know that people between 20 and 29 years old are going to be about 26%, 26.8% 26 of that population is going to be obese. We know that people between the ages of 40 and 59, we have a 34.8% obesity rate. We know people between the ages of 60 and 79, about 35.2% of them are obese. And that's uh, cited um, here. So this is a high percentage of people who are overweight, the high percentage of people who are obese, and, and a lot of people are morbidly obese. And, and people are doing their best to address this. And, and let's discuss what their expectations are. We know the average patient expects to lose between 20 and 40% of their body weight when they start a weight loss program. We know that care providers, they anticipate about 21% weight loss when patients come in for a weight loss program, okay? There's a big discrepancy right there. Um, the research, though, shows us that when people do diet, exercise, and behavioral counseling, we see only a 5 to 10% reduction in body weight. So, so how do people choose a diet when they go out there to the store? They want to do a self-help. They're going to go to the bookstore. And how do they choose that? 
let's first start by saying what kind of diets are out there? What are the options? Um, the first one that we have is going to be uh, a balanced hypocaloric. And that's when you take what you're eating and you just restrict the overall quantity. Okay, you're not reducing the fat quantity, you're not reducing the proteins, you're not reducing the carbohydrates, you're reducing all of them all at once. So that'd be like a, a Weight Watchers program. It could be like fasting. Fasting is like doing that. Uh, low calorie of any kind, and then uh, very low calorie even. Um, unbalanced hypocaloric is gonna be a calorie reduction, but it's no longer balanced with the fat, protein, and carb. You're gonna be focusing more on one or another. So in that case, you see people doing low fat, low carb, or even high protein. And that's the uh, unbalanced hypocaloric. Another one that's becoming more popular, has become popular over the past 10, 15 years, is going to be the allergy elimination diet. And you see plenty of ads on TV for it. And it's it comes and goes in popularity, but, but it is an important one. And that's going to be people who are avoiding gluten, maybe, or casein, or lectin. There's many different things that we could be sensitive to. That could be a contributor. Um, other people will try, you know, a lowering the meat quantity of their diet. That'd be like a pescatarian or lacto-ovo uh, vegetarian or even a, a vegan. Those are options. Um, another one that's come out is a regional type diet, which would be like a Mediterranean or a blue zone type diet. And then there's hybrids, which is be like paleo, where you're eating like we did when during the Paleolithic era, or even like the Whole30 diet, which is another great diet that's out there. It's kind of a, a combination of several different things. The thing is, they all work. All of those work, kinda, you know? Um, diet books are selected a lot of times by people for non-specific reasons. People say like, my friend did it, it looks good. You know, um, it worked for her, it worked for him. Or they're going to be, you know, that cover of the thing grabbed me. I like the title of it. Or, you know, I saw it on, on TV. There's a lot of different reasons we do that. The thing is, is that all of those diets I had just mentioned have a metabolic effect on your body. And it's different. Every one of those diets have a different metabolic effect on your body. The thing about obesity that's not really discussed and overlooked, which I'm going to delve into a lot on today's podcast and, and part two of today's podcast, is that obesity has specific causes. It's not just overeating. You know, there's a lot of different causes to it. And, and if the cause doesn't match the diet plan, if the, if the metabolic effect of the diet plan you're doing doesn't match the cause of your weight gain, it won't work. This is why you'll have a friend who does, you know, keto. And, and he'll lose like 20 pounds. So you're like, Psh, I'm doing keto. And you do keto and you lose five. And it didn't really work. It didn't stick. Or like, I'm going to give up gluten. You know, my, my, my neighbor gave up gluten and they lost 20 pounds. I'm going to do gluten-free. And nothing happens for you gluten-free. If anything, you gain weight doing gluten-free because that happens too. Uh, because when you take gluten out, a lot of times you're eating these really high starch gluten substitutes, which are not great, you know. But, but, but nonetheless, that wasn't the cause of your weight gain. It's important to have them synced up with each other. Um, what happens then when we do these diets and they don't quite match and we don't lose weight and we get frustrated, what do we do next? You know, the next step is we usually will go to our doctor, you know, or a weight loss clinic, something of that, that nature. And um, when you go to your doctor's office, uh, the question becomes, you know, how are they going to treat it? And, and what is their perspective on, on obesity? And, and that's an important thing to discuss. So Ferry's clinical advisor, 
the 2022 edition. You know, it's a it's a book that I spent money on. I I own that book. It's just <laughs> I've, I've I have so many books. I have a lot of books. Uh, so anyway, uh, I'm going to kind of give you the, the 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 abbreviated version of what they say on obesity. Um, the pathophysiology of obesity is complex and poorly understood. So right off the bat, they're saying we don't really understand why people gain weight. All right, this is textbook medicine. All right, this is a school book. Okay, for med school. Um, we know there are social, nutritional, physiological, psychological, and genetic factors. Okay. Uh, environmental factors such as sedentary lifestyle and chronic ingestion of excess calories can cause obesity. That's what we all know. That's how we were raised. The idea that not doing enough and eating too much is going to cause weight gain. That's the cornerstone of, of the medical opinion on weight currently. All right. That's the linchpin. And it doesn't always work because if it worked, we wouldn't be having this problem, okay? So a little bit more. They also write in here, obesity may be related to genetic factors, and that's thought to be either polygenic, genetic studies with adopted children demonstrated they have similar BMIs to their uh, biological parents, but not their adoptive parents. In other words, you know, if you're, you're raised in one family, you're gonna have the same body as your biological parents. It doesn't matter about environment in these cases, and that's, that's interesting. Um, twin studies also demonstrate genetic influences on, on BMI. And so when I read that, I'm thinking, you know, they're putting the idea that it's, it's either you laying around on a couch and eating too much, or you're genetically just, that's it. You're, you're born with this way. This is who you are. You know, you're stuck with this. This is, this is not very solution-oriented yet. So, and then the, finally, they say secondary causes of obesity can result from medications. Of course, they're going to blame the drugs. Yes, <laughs> the drugs that they prescribe are causing obesity. So this is unlimited image and and some people do gain weight from sitting on the couch and eating calories i know this that is a truth but there are a lot of you out there that know what i'm saying when you say i have done calorie restriction i have run marathons i mean god i've uh, i've done iron man i've done iron man three times in my life and uh that's that race where you're running a lot and you're swimming a lot and you're Bicycling a whole lot, not in that order. It's actually swim, bike, run. And I've done three of those in my life. And uh, there were people in that race who were beating me, hands down. And they were probably 50 pounds heavier than me. To train for Ironman, I mean, you're talking like 20 hours a week minimum to train for it. And these people were training that heavily because they were beating me. And I, I did a pretty good time. I did, a, I did one in 14 hours. I did one in 13 and a half hours. That's, for me, that was good. You know, but people were crushing me 50 pounds heavier. They're exercising. And if you don't believe me, go to an Ironman, not the one at Kona, because those guys are all elite level, you know, go to a local Ironman and watch people competing and winning and doing well, not winning, uh, competing, finishing it. It's pretty amazing. So exercise is not always the solution. Diet is not always the solution. I'll get more into that in a minute. How is it treated now? when you go to your doctor. So we already know what their philosophy is, is you're overeating, you're laying on the couch too much, or you're genetically in trouble, or you're taking drugs. Those are, those are the big things. So when you go in there and you're overweight, how are they gonna treat you? What are they gonna do? Well, if your body mass index is between 25 and 26.9, they're gonna advise weight loss through exercise and diet and lifestyle. That's their first step, okay. 
And the second thing they're going to do, if you're between 27 and 29% body fat, they're going to advise maybe some pharmacotherapy. They're going to prescribe some medications for you to help with your weight loss. And if you're above 35 uh, to 39% body fat, we're going to recommend surgery in those cases. Those are the tools. So either we're going to do calorie restrictions with exercise, prescribe you drugs, or when things go really far, we're going to do surgery. Behavioral modifications, um, goal setting, self-monitoring, stimulus control, you know, prevention of relapse. These are just psychological things they're going to do to, to get you to change your mindset and the way you approach food. But, but that basically is their approach. So when it comes to prescription of medication in this case, um, the first thing they start with is sympathomimetic drugs, such as like phentermine. So these are things that uh, suppress appetite because they stimulate that pathway in you, similar to like um, adrenaline or methamphetamines or anything of those that nature. They're stimulating your your adrenaline, your your epinephrine, norepinephrine. The idea is that that shuts down appetite, and it does to a degree. Not great, but that's what the first step is. Um, the second one, you know, things like Orlistat, and Orlistat was so popular for a while. They were like selling it was like over the counter. Um, Ali, I think it was called, and I'm not sure. Can I say the name of a pharmaceutical over the thing without getting in trouble? I don't know. Just try it and see what happens. Yeah. See where we go. We get a phone call. We get a phone call. So, 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 you know, um, the problem with things like Orlistat is that it's a drug that inhibits your body's ability to absorb the fat that you eat. You know, when you're having a meal. You know, so the problem with that is that when you do that, when you're fooling around with your ability to absorb fat, you know, that's going to affect your ability to absorb fat soluble vitamins like vitamins A, D, E, and K. So there's a chance of malnutrition, but also fat is now migrating through your whole intestinal tract and not being absorbed. So a lot of times fat is going to find its way through to your stool and you will have uncontrolled bowel movements that are oily. That's not good. That's not a pleasant experience. Another thing we prescribe are going to be things that are serotonin agonists like uh, locuserin. And uh, what that does, that acts centrally to inhibit appetite. And um, that's a popular one. Um, other ones in that same family would be propion, uh, fluoxetine. Um, these are antidepressants that have been repurposed for weight loss for some people. Um, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of these guys, you know. Um, topiramate, another one. Um, these guys are anti-epileptic and migraine drugs that are associated with weight loss. They're not FDA approved, but they're out there in use. And uh, finally, metformin. You know, metformin's out there and, and, uh, and also the amylin, uh, analog pramlinotide. Uh, these guys uh, affect weight by inhibiting insulin and fooling around with insulin. And uh, one more to add in here, the most popular one these days is very popular, and uh, semaglutide. Semaglutide is a once-weekly uh, uh, GLP-1 uh, receptor agonist. And if you think about it here, let me circle back on the drugs real quick. Phentermine, sympathomimetic, right? Adrenaline. What else in your body is similar to that? Your own adrenaline. You know? So what happens with your adrenaline? Why would your adrenaline be deficient? Because if we're going to give you phentermine, right? I'm trying to bring your adrenaline up a little bit. It's, what I'm trying to say is it's, these drugs, some of them work and work well. And, and the reason why they work well is because they target a metabolic irregularity, okay? So you can see in these drugs a hint of the metabolic causes of weight gain that are not calorie associated. So let's go back over those drugs real quick. You know, phentermine is sympathomimetic, as I mentioned, and that's adrenaline. What else is associated with adrenaline? 
your, your adrenals, <laughs> you know, cortisol in your adrenals. People with chronic stress have weight issues, don't they? When you have chronic stress long-term, what happens? You know, you, you long-term stress causes a depletion in cortisol and of adrenaline. So as people have low cortisol and low epinephrine, norepinephrine. And so giving them phentermine would, in those cases, might be helpful, possibly. I, over the years of practicing, I, I don't think phentermine is very effective. I'm not a big fan of it. But at least you can see something there. What about, like, the serotonin agonists, you know? When else do we see serotonin deficiencies in people? Think about that. Think about um, women. Think about women with PMS. Uh, think about episode two and episode three of the podcast. You know, women have irregularities with their serotonin when there's irregularities with their progesterone. And when progesterone levels are low, you'll see serotonin deficiencies. And serotonin deficiencies are strongly associated with appetite changes. And this is why women with PMS crave sugar. So whenever we have low levels of serotonin, we crave sugar. It's, it's a, a, a funny thing about how serotonin operates. You know, when you have low levels of serotonin, your body wants more serotonin. So when your blood sugar levels are higher, your body's able to generate more serotonin more easily. So this circle back here to one more thing. You know, you have the metformin and, and, and uh, the amylin analog premlinotide and also semaglutide. Those three play a role with insulin release. That's an important one that I see clinically frequently. When people have elevated levels of insulin, their bodies want to store fat. That is a big part of weight loss with patients. Running that lab is very important. Understanding insulin flows in a person's body, critical. So what's going on in clinical care with these patients when they go to their doctors and the approach of the physician is going to be you're eating too much, and you're sitting on the couch too much or you're genetically compromised and we're going to be giving you prescriptions or performing surgery. What, what's the success rate? Not high. Not high at all. Um, the fail rate in weight loss, in my opinion, is unacceptably high. And a possible cause for the failure is to be a lack of specificity in treatment. When does someone go to the doctor's office and says, I'm gaining weight, I need help, and they get lab work done? When does that happen? They, it doesn't. See, what happens is we have nonspecific treatment, and that provides some symptomatic relief in some cases. Reducing your calories can work to some degree, but it's not a solution every single time. You can't reduce your calories enough to fix a compromised thyroid. It doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? So patients will regain weight a lot of times after these interventions with their doctor because the program was not specific to them and their biological issues. Medically, what I see in the industry now is that objective of pursuit of the cause is minimal. Obese patients are screened mostly for the consequences of their obesity. And that's what you're used to. You go to the doctors and you're like, I'm having weight issues. And your doctor will run for all the consequences of your weight gain, which they should. And that's not a bad thing. We should be seeing, okay, how bad is it? What's going on here? What's under the hood? Um, so they're gonna look at metabolic syndrome. So you're gonna look at your cholesterol levels, blood pressure, waist circumference. They're gonna look for you have diabetes. Um, they're gonna look for sleep apnea. They're gonna do check for hepatic steatosis. Uh, they're gonna look cardiac, they're gonna do ECG for your cardiac. And that's true and valid and we need to do that. But is that looking for the cause? No. Let's look for what it's doing to you. Some possible endocrine causes are evaluated. 
you know, you'll get some doctors doing a thyroid, very cursory, very superficial, maybe just running a basic TSH on them, or maybe a reflex to T4. And that's not the best thyroid panel to do. It's not even close. It's just a cursory glance at it. But that's what you're getting. Maybe they'll screen you for Cushing's, which is where they see hyper hypercortisolism. I mean, they'll screen the big things. And that's important to screen up big things, you know, like that. Um, insulinoma, which is a, a tumor that secretes insulin, they may evaluate for that every once in a while. But those are not big causes that we see out there. So what is it that people experience when they go to their doctor's office? And, and what is it that they come away with? Um, many healthcare providers hold strong negative opinions and attitudes and stereotypes about people with obesity. And um, often this is expressed with uh, shame and disgust, you know? And in my experience in life, patients don't really like this and, and pretty much they don't respond. So what could be a different approach than that? How can we be better than that? Good question. Most important thing is to diagnose the cause first, always. So these are some labs that I feel are very important to run. Um, testosterone, progesterone, estrogen. And if you look at my previous podcast, you're like, McCarthy, what do you think? Everything's testosterone, progesterone, estrogen? Uh, no, <laughs> I don't. But it's ridiculous not to look at it. Because when that's the cause, that's the cause. And it's not a problem to look at it, you know? What's the harm in looking? I'm not saying it's always that. I'm not going to ever do that. I'm not going to ever be that one-trick pony kind of guy. Uh, that's not who I am. But we should look at it, okay? So it's in there. Um, thyroid panel. And not just the TSH. Don't take just the TSH. You want a TSH, a free T4, and a free T3. That's the bottom Bottom of the barrel test to do. It's not expensive either. If they say, oh, it's too much money. It's not an expensive test. That's not, not a lot of money, okay? Um, cortisol. Morning cortisol when you first wake up because stress is a serious cause of, of weight gain with people. Uh, IGF-1. That's your metric of growth hormone. That's a good snapshot of how growth hormone is moving through your body. That's another good one to look at. Uh, food allergies, definitely, because food allergies do contribute and cause Weight gain, it's not always the primary cause for all people. Sometimes it is, but even if it's just a contributor, we want to know. Um, insulin, and that's the big one, guys. I want you to know, insulin, fasting morning insulin is so often overlooked, but it's important. So fasting morning insulin, and then something called IGF-BP1. And IGF-BP1, so insulin in the morning lets me see how high your insulin's been all night. IGF-BP1 gives me an idea of how much insulin you secrete around your meal. It's not perfect, but it's a good way of testing. And then finally, uh, hemoglobin A1C. These are the labs I always run with my patients with weight issues. So today we're going to separate this subject out into two parts. We have this today's episode and then we're going to do one in a few days will be released. Um, I wanted to end it with the different labs to do, so I give you some hope. That there's you're not, there's there's hope out there, okay? Um, but as we come back to it uh, next week, we'll go more into the specific labs, why we test those things, the research supporting why we test those things, and and the specifics on how to treat those things. So, uh, as always, if you find what we do here is helpful, if you find that it is something that is important to you, please like, share, and subscribe. This is the way that I know. 
that it's important to you and I will keep providing you with material such as this. Thank you very much for tuning in and uh, I will see you again soon.